or if you haven't pissed someone off by, by noon, then you're not doing it right or something like that. Yeah. 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 The worst thing you can be in, in marketing is lukewarm. Uh, so Ooh, you're right. The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. And we're back for another episode of Move Entrepreneur Evolved. I'm here with Ashton Shanks. What's going on, brother? We made it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Good to see you, man. Thanks for inviting me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, man. I'm glad to have you on. So I'm going to pull us back a little bit. I always like to see what goes on in people's lives at certain times. So maybe you'll be able to pull the year, but let's see how it goes. Well, guys, the total count for my push-up challenge is $652.80. Thank you, everyone who gave that money. Change, it'll change thousands of lives, maybe even millions of lives. All glory to God. Do you remember that year? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't remember the year. I'm assuming this would have been like 2009, 2010, or 11. You're right at 12, but pretty close because those years probably change a little, don't they? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So what was going on, man? Yeah, that was uh, back in high school. Um, the My local church, every year they did this thing um, to basically, it, would, it was different. Every year was a new country that they were trying to send money to. Um, and so one of the things that I had come up with when I was in high school was like, all right, what's a random challenge I can do to try to get attention to get people, you know, to give money. And so I came up with this concept of just like a push-up challenge, um, kind of similar how people do like walkathons. It's like, Hey, if you donate every mile or you know, every, you know, lap or something like that, then we give all the money to charity. And so my concept was just a push-up challenge. And so the, I remember the first year, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember the timelines. I think the first year was like 8,000 pushups. The next year I did 10,000 and third year I did 15,000 pushups in 30 days. And so, yeah, I think that was probably just the, the summation of one of my challenges. Yeah. Dude, that's so Wait cool. Back. But I think that you were, but you were positioning yourself to help people in India. Is that right? Yeah. So that particular year would have been India. I think they were working with some water wells as well as some building schools. And so all the money given to this uh, organization during that time would go towards that effort. And so my goal was to try to raise as much money as possible to give to that, uh, that effort, essentially. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. I like to kind of bring things up like you're in, in the past that kind of give us the kind of the, the, the foundation to kind of take us where you're at. And you've obviously gone through a lot of different things. You've worked with traffic and funnels. And now you have the Herman Media Group. Is that right? Yeah, Heman. Yeah. yeah, Heman. yeah. Okay. And through those years, um, what would maybe some of those things in that type of push-up challenge were some of the foundations that kind of kept you moving forward? Because that mm -hmm. sounds like something that was marketing <laughs> from the very beginning. It's not like it was, you know, you actually did it to market to generate money. So that definitely was a skill set that you continued. Yeah, yeah, I I, I guess it was an uncovered talent uh, at that mm -hmm. point because you know this would have been you know maybe freshman year of high school for me, and so it was way before any kind of uh, entrepreneurial efforts or dreams I had in my head. But uh, the core foundation, yeah, was giving the concept of giving uh, through either global projects, local projects. Um, but the ideas of nonprofits, five hundred one c threes, has always been an area that I've had a lot of focus and attention on. So back then it was just, you know, how do I create attention? So for this given cause and now, you know, and now we've built Heman, which one of the core principles and, and, and focuses of Heman is it developing an anti-human trafficking. Uh, so like this year, for example, our internal company will give over $50,000 to anti-human trafficking efforts. And so I guess just that concept of, of what I do now is designed to help build a better future in some way is just kind of carried forward. 
That's really cool, man. Because I looked at the number, you said something that was like 2014 and you hit like 13,200 mark yeah. for your yeah. total amount of push-ups, right? Yeah. And I actually lived in India um, for, for a decent amount of time. And it's really cool that you'd kind of done that because if you've ever been there, I don't know if you've ever been there, um, but there's there's a word that most people, I, there's a couple movies to talk about, but there's a word of hope, right? And something that we have that's totally different than in different places of India is that sense of hope. And so it's really cool to see people, especially since I've lived there, things like that, for people to kind of set things aside and then do it. So I thought it was really cool when I saw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely, uh, it was a lot of push-ups. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Well, the question is, have you done any since? <laughs> done push-ups, but ironically, the last challenge actually hurt my shoulders pretty good. Uh, you know, 15,000 push-ups, I think it was north of, you know, there were some days I was pushing north of 800 push-ups in a day. Uh, and when you do that many for that long with zero days of rest, uh, it, I guess it's not good for cartilage, apparently, you know, so, so I'm told. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Eventually, yeah, eventually your muscles are stronger than the cartilage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my, my shoulder rotating cuffs are not so great anymore. But, uh, you know, we got to help a lot of people. So that was cool. Yeah, that's really cool. So that transition, do you feel that that was more of a marketing thing for you that kind of gave you a foundation in that? Because that's, I mean, some people in high school, that would just call you a hustler, right? <laughs> you were just hustling yeah. and figuring new things yeah. out. But then yeah. there's a transition and, you know, you will talk about where you're at now, but I think it's really cool to think like back then, was it, was it more of a sales thing that you started to go after? Or do you think it was more of a marketing thing that you started to go after? Because those two skill sets are like one is after and one's before. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily going after any, any, either of those skill sets. I think maybe I just had a natural tendency for creativity. What are random ways I can get people's attention that, you know, it's one thing to go, Hey, can you help donate to my cause? Uh, that's helping people in India. It's another thing to going, Hey, I'm doing 10,000 pushups to try to get awareness and, and attention. Would you mind, you know, contributing? Um, I, I, in high school, I don't know if I had any skill in anything, but I just, I like getting creative and, and trying to get people's attention to, to help, help other people. Well, I think it was like a big thing. Obviously that was during high school, but it was like a lot of people didn't have that social platform to do that. Mm. Right. So we ended up having to walk door to door. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. And you'd that's kind of what I did. Yeah. <laughs> you'd, always, you'd always go to the lady. You'd always go to the lady that gave away a dollar or gave away the large snicker bar for Halloween. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you always remember her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, it was the same thing for me. I mean, back then I had no social influence or anything like that. Any of those posts might've had like, you know, five or six likes on them, but uh, it was mostly, yeah, going around door to door or going business to business and just seeing if they would contribute. Well, it's cool because you obviously through social, we get our opportunity to see each other's lives and stuff. I got one more for you. And it was uh, probably say this 2016. This year we have moved halfway across the country away from friends and family experiencing the second worst flood in the U.S. history together, helped plant a church, witnessed a shooting, brought first, uh, bought our first in a car, had our worst and best financial time, and so much more. Uh, uh, but above all else, I spent another year with my best woman uh, I have ever met. I love you, honey. Go through that whole process. I didn't dive too much in the romance for you, but there was a lot going on to the time. 2006, you moved. And so what I was curious, because that if those dates that we were have, where did we start to kind of position business-wise for you? <laughs> Great question. Um, so yeah, 2016, that'd have been a few years later. Um, my wife and I, we moved to New Orleans to help plant a church. Realistically, I mean, from the time I was a kid, even you know, eighth grade on, I wanted to be a pastor. I never wanted to be a business owner or a marketer. The concept wasn't even in my head. When I was 16, I worked at a 
company that had rapidly grown. Um, and my position just happened to be marketing there, essentially because I was the oldest employee there. Uh, we were working out of a garage when we got started and that company grew really rapidly. Uh, when I left, we were doing about 3.2 million a month in revenue. And my wow. position was marketing director. And even at that time, marketing was not the thing that I wanted to do. I just wanted to be a pastor. And I just so happened to have a role in marketing. And I'd just always been the type of person that anything I was doing, I wanted to be the best at. And so if I was in marketing, I just wanted to be a marketer. But um, we had moved to New Orleans to, to be a pastor, help a church plant down there. And then shortly after that, we moved to Seattle to help plant a church there. And um, real is, you know, I don't know, in more of a sense, all the doors, proverbial doors kept shutting for me to be a pastor, whether it was uh, personal family things of either needing to support other family members financially with money, which pastors don't make money, um, and, or it's, you know, living in Seattle being one of the most expensive places with my wife, um, you know, the doors of being in the church kept closing. And then I just happened to, to see other people start making money with Facebook ads. And then with my background, I was like, oh, I know Facebook ads. These people are doing it. Surely I can too. And and business uh, kept going on from there. And so it was kind of just uh, uh, the doors kept closing to do anything else and business kept opening. And so uh, I just wanted to be a good steward of what I had. I think that's a great answer because I think that a lot of people run into the same scenario. I think that they see something that they want and the doors keep like shutting. Was there a point where you felt like I'm going to have to let go of that effort? Or do you, th do you find yourself, did you hold on yeah. it too long? Or do you think you were pretty conscious during that period? Yeah, I think for a long time, you know, even a year, I'd probably say, you know, maybe like nine to 12 months after even starting Heman, uh, I was still with the intention of like, man, how do I get out of this? How do I go be a pastor? That's what I wanted to do. And uh, for a long time, just kind of frustrated, angry, doing really well by all accounts, but just frustrating because I felt like I was out of where I was supposed to be. Um, and it was kind of a moment when I just realized that at least for me, and again, I don't know, like, you know, my side, I, a lot of my decisions are based on faith just because that's how I base a lot of my stuff. So it might not be helpful for everyone listening, but for me, it was one of those things where I believed, Hey, if I was supposed to be a pastor, I would be a pastor. And if I'm in this role right now, I'm at least until this door gets shut, I'm going to do this the best I can possibly do it. And that's kind of carried into everything else we have. I think that uh, this transition is pretty good if I can pull it off here. I didn't write this down. Let's see if I can pull this off. <laughs> but I think that um, there's a correlation here. And I think that when you decided, you said, look, I'm going to go be a pastor. There's a huge serving component that's there. Um, when you went into this business, how did you find the benefit of that serving to correlate with the way that really mm. businesses ran? Mm. It's good, man. It's uh, it's everything, honestly. Um, you know, it evolves over time, or at least my perception of servant leadership has evolved over time. It's funny because we almost think of leadership and servant leadership as two different classifications of leadership. And I think in the beginning of our business growth, that was my mindset was there's being a good leader and then there's being a servant leader. And almost like I, I did it like it was two separate job roles. I think the more we progress, the more I've realized that like there is actually no other form of leadership except servant leadership. Um, and so that's now become a mantra in our company and it's everything that we do, but yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a huge correlation. Servant relationship. Maybe you can dive a little deeper into that because that's a pretty, pretty cool word. 
Yeah. Servant leader. So servant sure. leadership, it, it kind of is a little bit of a churchy word. Uh, and it's basically the concept uh, is same book. If you guys have ever read like leaders eat last. Um, but the concept is that as a good leader, you put your people below you in front of you. Um, in scripture, they talk about, you know, it's the, the first will be last and last will be first. It's essentially just the concept in us. It's, we support everyone around ourselves. We serve other people as much as we can. And in that, we set the example of leadership. And the, and the idea is that as you serve others, they'll also replicate that. And when you have an organization that everyone is serving one another in the best ways that we can, that's how you really produce a successful organization across. And where do you think the internet's struggling with that? <laughs> uh. Great question. <laughs> Uh, it's easy, but it, you can go so many. I'll give you many angles you could take on this one. <laughs> I think the, I think when people get really, um, they get something in their targets, like their eyes right now. Um, uh, people are all like searching and trying to grasp for something. And I think a lot of people right now, they see the healthy organizations, but they see the leaders at the top and they don't see anything else that goes into it. And so they're, target is misaligned meaning their target is to be the owner with the lamborghini and to, with a massive company and massive profits their target is to have a lot of social influence and so that becomes their target the whole time but what they missed out on or what they didn't see was all the stuff underneath that that was required in order for that ceo mm -hmm to establish that kind of influence, to establish that kind of profitability and revenue, to establish that kind of healthy organization. Because they don't see that side, they only aim for what they do see. Um, and it's kind of like an iceberg, you know, 90% of it is underneath yeah. the water and uh, you'll miss it and you'll never get that top, you know, pyramid unless you set the foundation stuff. Yeah, I think that you're right. And do you think that starts, obviously that starts with you, but do you think that the hiring process obviously has to do with that? But what were some areas that you missed that in the beginning? Because I think that that's a, is it's um, how do I say this right? Everybody wants to give back, right? Many yeah. people start their companies saying, "I'm just going to go make a bunch of money and then I'm going to start donating." And you're like, "You haven't even made any money yet." Mm. So yeah. where does that mentality kick in? You know, you start a business and then you have this idea of, you know, your leadership and you got to sell too. So there's a little bit of a maybe a caveat there. Where do yeah. you see that? issue with people um either lack of good counsel or lack of studying on what actually makes a good organization i think in the beginning you know in my head i, I was always someone that um i produced really good results and producing or getting creative in ways to make revenue was not hard for me and so when i got started the concept in my head was like okay i just need to go make it find a bunch of ashtons like i knew the exact personality types right i'm an entp or infj or intj sorry i'm looking for competitive people i'm looking for aggression i was just looking to get a bunch of ashtons because in my head it was like if i have a company full of ashtons i'm gonna make a really good amount of money because i'm very good at what i do and i think i probably started to make those mistakes when you're building an organization you don't want a bunch of ashes you will not live if you have a bunch of ashes yes. in your company you're trying to build a vehicle so not everything can be an engine not everything can be a brake not everything can be a tire and so really starting to understand that the different mechanics required to build a healthy business uh, it varies. And so I had to start looking at it differently. I wasn't no, I was no longer just like producing an ashen profit machine. I actually had to build Heman. Uh, I had to build an organization that could withstand the scale that I actually wanted. 
And what was that transition in your life? Where was that time period where you decided to take that risk to build? Uh, ironically, it was never a, a risk. It was out. It was born out of necessity, which is probably you know that's the mother of all in, in invention, right? Is necessity. Yeah. Um, ultimately, you know, I was I was a director of marketing for a company called Traffic and Funnels. They're a pretty large consulting firm, and uh, I needed to move back home to Missouri uh, to be around some family who was having some health issues, and so I could no longer be the director of, of marketing there or director of advertising there. And so I had to transition. Oh, so that was the re- that was the reason that you left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It was just kind of I needed to. I wanted to make sure that I brought my two sons around. Uh, their grandparents, their grandma, um, while they can, and and so that's off to that, brother. That's that's huh? a great move. That's yeah, a great yeah. Move. It was uh, it was tough, but it was something that, that was I tough, knew man. that if I looked yeah. back on my life, that would have been the decision I wanted to make. Um, and so it just started because a lot of people had always asked me to run their advertising, and it was just a matter of starting to say yes. And so that was the start of the company. So it was, you felt comfortable with the risk. Because we can't, let's not assume the risk wasn't there. I, I, I could tell yeah. you're like, oh man, I got to leave this comfort and all these people that love me. And then all of a sudden I got to go do this. Plus obviously yeah, the pressures are there. I, I think the conversation, one of the comments you made a minute ago lays this one. And this one came a couple more years, <laughs> uh, but it says too many people are not allowing themselves to become who they really are, who they could be, not even a little bit. I've been blessed to meet a ton of people around the United States And you know what? I see the same strength and weaknesses of people everywhere I go. It appears no one is exempt from being flawed. Interesting. Some people think of themselves too highly. However, I see the opposite of most of the time. Too many people are not allowing themselves to truthfully flourish. If you think you're dumb long enough, you will become it. What a great, that was a really good uh, post that you put out there. And do you feel that that's like the same thing that's going on? This was obviously five years ago. But what is it that you've maybe grown in the last five years that you've learned about people um, on when they're trying to get to where they're at, the level that they're trying to get to, what's basically holding them back? Yeah, I'd say nine times out of 10, it's just themselves. Um, It it comes from two sides, like either one, the expectations are off. And so people are afraid to start because their uh, expectation or the lens that they've been told uh, to believe is that if you start off and you fail right away, that means you're a failure. Um, but if they, I think if most people either one had the correct time horizon of like going into something, expecting that, Hey, I'm going to fail consistently here, but I understand that if I stretch almost anything out that we think of in the entire world, we stretch almost any behavior out over a long enough time horizon, you're almost always going to achieve it. The same reason why, like if, you know, people who are 18 years old now start to uh, invest a hundred dollars a month with the you know combination of 9% interest year over year, by the time you retire, you'll be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, it's just that time horizon thing in people's minds of like, it, I, if I start something, I must be successful at it right away. I think the other thing though, ultimately, is that we just allow other people to really put the constraints on ourselves rather than us. Um, we let other people tell us what is possible, what's impossible. We let other people tell us what's a good path or a smart path. You know, the funny thing I've started to hear recently, and I loved it, I think it was from Hermosi, was just contemplating the idea that if you have a 1% vision, then mathematically, it will not align with 99% of the people's visions. I just read that. 100%. I so read it's that. it's like, you know, if, if you think of it that way and you start yeah. realizing that if I am truly special, and if you're listening to this, you know if you're special. Like, I mean, you don't need someone to tell you that you're special to know that you're 
you're special. If you know that you're special, then you got to understand that just it's an expectation that it, other people won't see it your way. Yeah. And, and if you know you're special, you're going to kind of fight through that for that like light bulb to shine because you're kind of shining yourself in the beginning, right? It can be. Um, I think the hard, and this is kind of more harder advice that I have for most entrepreneurs. And this is speaking more to entrepreneurs. I don't know who in all listens to you, but you know, if you're, if you are someone with a 1% vision, um, then understanding realistically, like if you need other people's motivation to keep you going, probably not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. (laughs) If you are a one percenter um, and someone who has that kind of high ambition, the fuel that you need from other people, it's nice to have, but if you need it, you're not going to make it. So you got to find something that'll motivate you regardless of what other people are saying. Yeah. You have to be willing to like, go pick up those bricks. Like when there's no reason to pick up those bricks. Yes. And then move them. And and then you're like, you got to be willing to go move those bricks into a, into the wrong area and then go, Oh, I was supposed to move the bricks over there. God damn it. I, you know, I got to put all that stuff together and upset with that yourself. And, but that's part of like the process. Um, what are the things now, you know, you, you went through this process, you decided to start an ad agency. Was the ad agency the first thing that you started? Yeah. Uh, well, in my entire life, no, but as far as what we, I mean, have, during the, yeah. for this transition. Of yeah. 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 The agency is still our core business. Yeah. And when, when ads have been going, kind of going into this technic, technicality, um, I'd been running ads for a long time, going back to AdWords. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yep, been around for a while. Um, and in that transition, we get a lot of people that are complaining about Facebook ads over the last couple of years. Since you're deep into it, what's your, what's your thought period on that? Is this just a complaining period? Is it you're not getting good enough? Is it you need to just be better? Or are we finding a platform change from Facebook to YouTube to, you know, TikTok and all that? Yeah, it's a mix of all of it, for sure. Um, there's definitely, you know, sides to it to where you've got to just get better. You know, things will always evolve. Um, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if it's Facebook ads or marketing in general. It's going to evolve. And anytime it evolves, there's always going to be, you know, the people who really paved the way. There's going to be the people who study the people who've paved the way. And then there's just kind of the consumers at the end. And they're typically last in line to get any and all information. And normally when they get that information, there's a small time horizon to actually implement that feedback and get good results. So what we're seeing right now is just a bunch of people who have never really thought to how do I get better at this or how do we do better marketing? Uh, and they're just like going, oh, the, the funnel maps that I was given no longer work. Everything sucks. Um, and so there's definitely the part, ultimately the core thing is to get better at it, but there is platform changes, um, and it'll continue to change too, especially as people get more and more sensitive to how platforms are allowed to use their data. Uh, that's ultimately where all of this is stemming from is that, you know, platforms believe, Hey, how do we increase shareholder value? Well, we create bigger trust on platforms. How do we create bigger trust on platforms? Well, maybe we can stop tracking them as so much. And we, we tout that as, as our thing. And ultimately, that was a move by Apple to corner off Facebook's ad revenue so that Apple can gain more. But you know what they'll say is data privacy. And so we need to change the platforms to protect consumers from us abusing their data. And with that comes massive you know, algorithm changes, platform changes right now. The biggest problem is just attribution and tracking issues that Apple is no longer allowing that data to pass back into the platform. So platforms are having a harder time to adapt. Yeah. I think that, you know, in, in fact, this has never changed, right? If you're in any form of marketing, this just goes from 
paper to, you know, mailers to like all those things that are changing. But I think that one thing that a lot of people do is they get, it's almost like this frustration. And I got to admit that many years before we did SEO and stuff, and I can't tell you what it felt like. You'd get something then you'd have a client and you'd get somebody there and then all of a sudden fall off. And it was Mm -hmm. like this never ending feeling that it never went away, you know? Um, But that's kind of, nothing's really changed in a way. I mean, there's always the people are like, I wish it would have stayed the same. And the new people is, I just found a new opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I it's, it's, Go. Go I was just going to say, it's, a, it's always kind of a system that as processes get easier, typically, typically people get lazier. You know, it's, we, we get really frustrated right now because two years ago, man, Facebook really was a place that you could throw up an ad, almost any ad and print money. It was pretty incredible. But even if we look at things now compared to, you know, back before internet, back before TV, you know, it was only print advertising and you'd have copywriters and marketers taking six to seven months just to write an ad. You know, now we get really frustrated, but that's just because most people are still writing an ad in 10 minutes, launching it and assuming it's going to work because that's what they're used to. But really, it's just process got better and the algorithms got better and we just got lazier. Well, that takes me to a place I remember seeing. I got to do my homework, right? So I paid attention and I saw that you did an ad in an airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I was curious about is how did that ad do? Because you think you have a lot of people that, you know, they'll go out and, you know, they don't have access. And obviously as you grow, I would have done the ad in the airplane too. So kudos to you. Good move. Most of the people though, they're like, Hey, you know what? I want to do this ad. What was the change? Cause I, you know, I always like to have these conversations where it's like, there's levels to the game. One time you're like, okay, I'm going to have a conversational ad. Then I'm going to have a text ad. And then I have an ad that has me next to a Ferrari. And an airplane does that. Certain things do that. What do you find value or how do you find conversions when you add an element? I want to say a sexy element, probably maybe. Yeah. yeah. Clickbaity. Yeah. Um, how, how did you find yourself in that ad do? Because it, I remember seeing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it goes two different directions. I love that you asked this question because, you know, we still get shade on it all the time inside of our ads and it's funny. You get shade on it? Oh, dude, all the time. <laughs> Do you really? Oh, man, so many times, dude. So many. I mean, I, there's another one that's like uh, that jet. There's a picture of us standing outside of it, and we use that one to test. And a bunch of people are just like, oh, we paid for to stand outside of a jet and take a picture. Uh, or there's people that are just like, uh, you know, it's. It, I guess there was, there's people that can rent a jet that you don't actually do anything. It's just, I guess, like a set prop. So I guess I, a lot I, of people I, thought that that's ask. what we were doing. Totally gonna ask you it. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So it's no, because they do. They had they had this thing. I think it was on the internet. It was like some influencers there, and then when they done, they stepped out, and it was just a capsule. Mm, And I I was like, I don't think he would have done it. You you got too too good of a a friendly face. I was like, I don't think (laughs) everyone, brother. No, no, it wasn't. Actually, the easiest way to always tell in that stuff is just listen to the audio. If it has great audio, oh yeah. If it's if it's real, the audio is going to suck because <laughs> it's loud. Um, but uh, no, I mean, so really what we were trying to test there would was we always know that a fancy car or a jet gets higher click-through rates. It's just going to stop scroll. You see a guy on a jet or a guy next to a Ferrari, you're going to stop scrolling. Um, but what we wanted to test ultimately was how would it affect our lead quality? So could we get decreased advertising costs with a jet or with a car, um, but maintain the same level of quality? And ultimately it's, it's varied. What we found is for the lead magnet or the, um, the, uh, 
um, Mad Weekly. It does really well. Um, it does it really, really, really well. On the VSL or longer length trainings, uh, we, it brought costs down, but it did bring also the quality down with it. Um, so the, the, ultimately the jury's still out on holistically, how does it do? I think it varies by offer. I think it worked on the mad weekly, which is just a, an email subscription, uh, just because the friction to join an email newsletter is so low that the jet did do a great job of getting more attention than it normally would. So it brought our lead costs down, but on longer and trainings, you typically get people who are looking to like make money online, the guru space. Yeah. And I think that like, as you know, you go through that process and, you know, the verdict is out, does it work? But I think that there probably is a play that, you know, I remembered the ad. So you correlate you being in the plane and you having, you know, private experience is really what people are looking at that ad. They're not, they're just going, oh, that private experience. I would want that private experience, right? They assume that you, you know, hung up on the ad and next thing you know, you had caviar, or, uh, you know, you had all kinds of great food next to you and everything like that, you know? Um, but I think that one thing is in the longevity, those things probably help you out a lot because then your content still comes back in. So if you can probably fill it with great content after, what about like a retarget after that? How did the yep. retarget do better? Cause that might not have to have the jet or the plane. hundred percent. And that's really what those kind of ads are designed for. It's just to get attention. Um, you know, being in a jet or being in a cool car, being next to pretty people, uh, will always get more eyeballs. That's just naturally what people have because people want to where, no matter where they are, they want to aspire to get to that level. And so it does do a great job of getting attention. It really ultimately comes down to what's the funnel process. What's the nurture process. Cause that's ultimately where people are going to really start to find out who are you actually. And so if you get targeted by us, it's not a big deal for me, uh, because we are relentless in retargeting. So, uh, if you get the jet thing and it got your attention, but you don't like it first impressions, I'm going to hit you with like 10 more impressions. So. <laughs> Just wait. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wait, wait till you decide what you don't like. I got more yeah. for you. I think it was Dan Kennedy or someone says, if you don't wake up in the morning and you piss someone off, or if you haven't pissed someone off by, by noon, then you're not doing it right or something like that. Yeah. 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 The worst thing you can be in, in marketing is lukewarm. Uh, so Ooh, you're right. And how hard is that? I mean, really as a person that wants to, you know, be a kind person, help people, there's like this, like, I've got to go do this so that I can help them like this. Isn't that kind of weird? Yeah, dude, it's a conflicting thing all the time. Um, there's plenty of times where my content guys will actually give us stuff because, you know, I, I drive an Aston Martin. We have a Tesla X. We have a cool car. We had a, we had a house that had 8,000 square feet and a basketball court. And it's like, we want to show all this stuff off. But um, I pulled back on, on a lot of it just because it's, it's not who I really want to be. But at the same time, you're right, man. If you want to get attention, you want to actually change lives. Sometimes you're going to have to give some of that up and be okay with people thinking you're an idiot or a jerk uh, or some guru or scammer. I mean, it's just going to happen. Well, I think this is important because for people that are listening to, you know, you explain, you know, you go through success, that stuff still hurts you. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. And it's, you're not immune to it. You know, you're not, I was actually listening to Joe Rogan and he was like, I don't even look, I don't even look at the comments on YouTube at yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. I stopped looking at our ad comments a while ago. Yeah. They just, uh, you know, those aren't the people that buy anyways, right? Yeah. No, no, they're not the people that are going to buy anyway. Some of them might, but at the end of the day, it's like, if they're going to comment stuff like that, do you really want them working with you anyway? Do you really want their money? Do you really want their attention? You don't. So and, that's such a, and, and in the space of coaching and giving and, and giving counsel and things like that, 
there's so much value in the person that really wants to be there. hundred percent. You know, and you had another one is coming up catching you again with a left hook here. Uh, a coach is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear, who has you see what you don't want to see. So you can be who you've always known you could be. That was yeah. by Tom Landry, but that probably still holds pretty strong. And my question would be, how much do you find in this industry? Because people want to come into an, an, an people always want to come to an experience and they're like, oh, everything is great. But practicality is if they're bringing you in, they're asking for some tough love as well. How do you handle tough love when it comes to these type of situations when people are trying to grow? Because nobody wants to get their at, you know, tail whooped. <laughs> they just, yeah, I don't want to get pushed a little, you know? I think you have to want impact more than, um, you know, impressions mm. or, or, or followings. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, like if you're someone who truly wants a better outcome for this person um, and you truly actually want to help them become better in that, you know, in 10 years or 20 years, they look back and go, man, that guy really helped me out, really helped me through some things and helped change my life. It's not going to be just because he liked you. Um, you're like, think back to someone who's giving you a compliment five years ago you can't just name the name. This just a compliment is nothing. Like someone making you feel good is nothing, uh, but someone who's giving you some hard advice about, you know, being a better husband or stop being a shitty business owner, or maybe you should stop being lazy and actually write some copy. Those are the conversations that actually help people change. And so it's when you value the end result larger than the, you know, intermediate good feelings that it, it doesn't become that hard, but it is a process. You just got to work through it. And I think, you ultimately just have to remind yourself that like, if you're someone who's afraid to give that advice, you're not really a coach. You're just a teacher. Teachers teach. They just give you what the info is. You study it. You hope you pass the test. A coach is someone that actually works you through it. They're designed to help get you from point A to point B. And if you're unwilling to step in the middle, then you're not actually a coach. You know what? That You could probably reiterate that. I think that this is something that, um, I often think about because uh, a coaching environment many times is pushing you through a very uncomfortable situation. You're right. You know, a teacher, you look at the difference in even a school, we were talking about high school, right? And you think about school, you think about like a high school math teacher. They're definitely going to treat you different than the football coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that was, that's pretty good. You're right. And, and at the end of the day, they're going to ultimately mold you with what you naturally have. And then they're going to push you through. Sometimes they're not as pretty a coach is, I guess. Um, but yeah, a teacher sometimes is going to want to give a lecture and then leave. Now there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a valid, that's a valid point. What, what's on the new horizon for you? You've got, um, you know, the media uh, company that's here. Have you decided to keep yourself as, you know, a sole? you know, this is going to be my Apple and I'm going to diversify through Apple. Or do you find yourself looking at other business ventures? Yeah, no, we, uh, so our, our true company's name is the human group. And, and my idea was always to try to build a conglomerate. I'm a, I'm a builder. I'm a, someone who loves to create vision, create momentum, inspire, get it trained up, and then let me build a next project. And so we have human media, uh, as our core agency, we're also acquiring other agencies right now of email. We acquired a creative agency. Uh, we're doing a content division inside of it here soon. 
Uh, but then essentially what we're building is the machine that can build other companies. So, um, you know, our next one is we have a software company that we've created. Uh, we have Heman X, which is basically a in-house media buyer training and development program. So, hey, you don't need an agency, but you have a team and they need to really get better results or you need to train them up. Or uh, what we've added on as well is the Heman X recruiting arm. So we have essentially in-house media buyer development or advertiser development and we have the recruiting arm that helps uh, recruit those media buyers. Um, and then we have a mastermind for agency owners. And then we have an e-commerce store. Uh, should be the start of next year. But just continuing oh. to build. Yeah. Have you done e-com yet? Yeah. Yeah, we have. Uh, I've had two in the past. Um, one did very well. One did terrible. Um, but, uh, you know, at Heman Media, we manage about $5 million a month in spend. And probably about 60% of that spend is in the e-commerce you know, industry. Yeah, e-com is fun, right? I did a lot of e-com and uh e-com is a different different beast than coaching. It's, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. You're 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 an aggressive savage in e-com. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, we love we love uh we love to push the boundaries and, and see what we can do there. Yeah. That's really cool, man. And what about you? What what about you? Are you a traveler? What what is there some things that people don't know about you? What's you got any funky hobbies? Are you a pickleball player? Are you <laughs> not as many as I'd like? Uh, honestly, just uh, the past several years have just been work, and that's been my hobby, and that's been my day job. Um, but you know, ultimately, my life right now is I have two incredible kids. I have a three-year-old son, a one-year-old son, a wife that uh, will be married eight years in August. And uh, right now it's, um, I think it's just foundation, um, really putting in all the work into the, the company and make sure the foundation's good. And so that uh, as I can, as I become a builder uh, more than anything, my time gets returned more back to me. And I want to make sure I'm getting more time with my kids uh, and be able to do those vacations. But actually, ironically, I'm not much of a traveler. I do travel a lot more for speaking, but uh, I'm a hobby. I'm a, not a hobby. I'm a habit guy. So you know, I have my typical morning routine, go to the same gym, go to the same coffee shop after the gym every day, go to the same lunch. Uh, and really my, my variance time is after work. So it's like, where are we going for dinner? And that's like my entire day. And I, I'm, once I get out of that habit, I, I typically get off flow a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny how that happens, right? It's because you got so many things going on and if you can like, just get this flow kind of moving, yeah. that's pretty, that's cool, man. And what about um, family? You got, these are some young kids, man. You probably got some cool yeah. plans. You got uh, any, any type, do you have anything? You're like, man, I'd love my son or my daughter to do this. Do you have any? <laughs> it's everything, honestly. I, I grew up very, very unwealthy, un anything. Um, we grew up very poor. And so it's it's so funny. I think my, my son has ridden on a private jet uh, like four or five times. And that's four or five times is more than I flew on a plane till I was like 14 years old, maybe like maybe even further. I think, you know, growing up, our vacation was grandma's house and that, that, that was about the biggest vacation we've had. Yeah. See, that's cool, man. Well, Ashley, you've been amazing, man. This has been an incredible thing. And, and I kind of like digging in a little bit. I think that uh, people that see you in your business and things, but you know, I think that people seeing you from other things that you do is also cool as well. Where do people find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram uh, at Ashton.Shanks uh, or Twitter uh, at Ashton Shanks uh, or on Facebook. Um, or you can go to our website, hemanmedia.com. 
or thehumangroup.com. Either way, you can find us there. Um, but dude, it's been fun. Oh, by the way, though, if you follow me, I don't sell crypto or do anything there. I get like three new spam accounts a week, I guess. You, you mean you don't have a you, you don't have an affiliate you're about to give me? Yeah, yeah. No, and I will not tell you to invest in crypto, and I will definitely never ask for money in your DMs. Uh, so, well, you uh, know what? Right now is the time to not be a guru in in crypto. <laughs> You know, if you're watching crypto, it's all so falling. Quiet. It, we're, yeah, we're, everybody's we all were here six months ago. I don't know. Do you think we're going to get all the marketers back? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they're going to come back with a new wave for sure. 100%. <laughs> well, this has been an awesome experience, man. I appreciate you. And thanks for being a guest on the Moved Entrepreneur Ball podcast. Thanks a lot, brother. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.